Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Hi, I'm Das Smith and welcome to The Signal Line. Today's podcast is a presentation and AMA with the core team behind the HRVG or Hawaii Remote Viewing Guild methodology. This includes discussions with Glenn Wheaton, Dick Augeyer and Sean Mahoney amongst many others. Hope you enjoy the show. Um, so yeah, without further ado, uh, you know, I want to welcome... The, the three members from HRVG at the moment, Dick Algar, Glenn Wheaton, and Sean Mahoney. It's fantastic for you guys to come. We've had lots of requests for your uh, for a presentation of your HRVG methodology. Going back a couple of months now, it's, it's gathering a, a lot of pace on the Discord and Reddit servers. So you're welcome, and we look forward to hearing what you guys have got to show and share with us. Sounds good to me, Daz. Uh, I do have a PowerPoint. Um, not to be... Let me see if I can share a screen. I'll start sharing screen. Let's get this going. Uh, probably not a lot of people know who I am or what I am. So I've got like a little narcissistic display of PowerPointage that I'm gonna throw on you guys. Uh, I was born in 1953 down in the swamps in Louisiana. At the age of six, I went to St. Mary's home, uh, which is, uh, it went from home to orphanage to back to home again, but uh, it was run by these ladies. A mighty fine group of women, let me tell you. I learned a lot there. I learned English. I learned discipline. I learned Latin. I learned discipline. <laughs> and I learned discipline. Carmelites, they were Carmelites. So if you know anything about Carmelites, they use, they're hiding their sticks right now. You can't see their sticks. Going from the orphanage, uh, geez, at 17, I went into the Marine Corps. That's me back in the day. Uh, there was a war on, it's called Vietnam. Then in 1974, I got an invite, was in, recruited into the Army Security Agency. And this is, uh, this is when I entered the world of Joe, Joseph McMonagall. Joe's known me for, for, forever since my first day in ASA. In 1977, uh, ASA went away and became merged with the Military Intelligence Service to form the Intelligence Security Command, INSCOM. Joe continued on through the INSCOM years as well. Um, in 1979, I was recruited into Special Forces by Richard Langford. I went to Benning, went to Airborne School, went to Fort Bragg, got assigned to the 400th Army Security Agency Special Operations Detachment, 5th Special Forces Group Airborne. They pushed me through school. Uh, I served in all active duty groups, 7th, 5th, 10th, and I retired out of the 1st, out in Okinawa. I was there for six years. Uh, during my training, this is Colonel Robert L. Howard, Medal of Honor winner. He was the guy that, uh, that ran my school. Uh, probably the most impressive human I've ever met in my life. And a little scary. Um, this is me in the first, 
uh, with what's called the mist teams. You can see most of the guys, they've all been down a road or two. Uh, geez, I served with the British SAS, the Australian SAS, doing mobile training teams, this, that, and the other things, different stuff comes up. There was another war going on at the time too. Uh, I did the Philippines. I did six coups in the Philippines. This is the latest one. My last one I attended was in 89 and some other stuff in another country that kind of looks like Florida or somewhere else. Um, that's me a couple months prior to retirement. Uh, let's see, let's go on. So the, the whole, the Wheaton family, we've all been military. That's my daughter coming home from Afghanistan. She's on the phone with me right there saying, hey, I made it back, which is good stuff. And then probably the, the black sheep of the Wheaton family are these two guys. This is, uh, geez, Major General Frank Wheaton and Major General Lloyd Wheaton. You can see there on the right, Lloyd Wheaton, he's got the Medal of Honor. So when I went through the Q course, uh, I, I really got dumped on. Uh, and but the worst part of it is these guys were both they both fought for the North, so they were both Yankees. So we don't talk too much about them. And this is uh like my pitch, you know, what other job lets you walk across the sky? Uh, best job I ever had. You young guys and gals, I recommend you sign up. They'll they'll give you anything you ask for these days. So yeah, I'm gonna go on to the guild now. So that's me, uh, normally a nice guy, never been arrested, never been to the pen, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole good stuff. I got a clearance, clearance. Uh, the Guild. It was the 26th of August in 1996 when me and Philip Lau met at a restaurant down in Chinatown. And we set up the parameters and the funding for a group that, um, became the Hawaii Remote Viewers Guild, or the Guild as it's known here in the islands. Um, in September of 96, I gave a series of lectures in Honolulu to recruit and screen students for remote viewing class, which began in December. Since that first class, Hawaii Remote Viewers Guild has continued uninterrupted as an organization conducting research and training in remote viewing to this very day. Uh, Everything in Hawaii has got like a Hawaiian saying, logos, mottos, this is ours, hui hoiki mua o Hawaii, which means, yeah, push on out there into the darkness. Uh, about 10 years prior was when I actually worked with Dr. Richard Arlen. Uh, there's kind of a misconception. Uh, some people think that Richard was paid to teach us to remote view and uh, he was not. Richard was considered to be an intelligence asset, uh, 1981, 1982. President Reagan, um, he issued an order out to the intelligence community, pretty much putting the brakes on everything that we were doing in order to point all our antennas and all our assets towards Southeast Asia to answer, the, to answer a single question. And that question was, were there any American POW MIA still left in Southeast Asia? Because Mr. Reagan had um, Mr. Reagan had made that as one of his campaign promises to all the vets that, that he would find out. And we did, we stopped. We came to a screeching halt. 
I had to learn to monitor Vietnamese again, uh, some Laotian, some Cambodian. So we all were looking as earnestly as we could. But Richard had been uh, to the John F. Kennedy Center for Unconventional Warfare Military Assistance. And he'd met a few generals there and they were impressed with him. So we got directed to go out there and uh, develop his, him as an asset. Richard was developed as an asset, but along the way in the two years where we developed Richard, Richard worked probably 60 targets throughout Southeast Asia, looking at different things uh, that came up at, through other intelligence platforms, trying to verify you know, when the satellite tells you the shadows are too loud, too long on the ground for an Asian guy, it's got to be, you know, an American or something. A lot of times it turns out to be Germans. There's a lot of Germans that got caught down there. Um, but that's what Richard's primary focus was. But along the way in analyzing and verifying, uh, like he would do anything, he took nine of us under his wing and uh, developed this out to what to what became the HRBG methodology. The methodology itself was back engineered from uh, tons of interviews with, uh, we have what it's called a 98 Charlie, a cryptolo cryptologic traffic analyst. And their interviews with Richard is, is, is the methodology that we use. So he's credited with being the creator of our methodology. Richard passed away in 1992. I put goodnight Brady Murphy wherever you are. I've seen him do a million shows. And his last thing he says on stage before he exits stage right is goodnight Brady Murphy, wherever you are. Some of you may who know may know who Brady Murphy was. Um, Richard was a showman. He was probably the most magical person I've ever met. Uh, he could do things that would just amaze you. Uh, and then there was, I mean, if you asked, I remember uh, I was being the, I was the uh, chosen one to do the Wayne Carr um, validation targets for uh, James Randi. And while I was on the phone with James, I said, you know, what do you think of Richard Island? He said, I wouldn't trust baby's candy with that guy. And I'm going, holy moly. Okay, so I don't know where I was at. Um, I put an example of some of the flyers we have from because as long as he worked with us, he never stopped his show. And it could, we only got him usually in the late hours of the evening after his after his show down at Don the Beachcombers. And then forget it, between nine o'clock and 2 p.m., he was doing readings. And his readings were usually $225 to $250 for 20 minutes doing personal readings. Um, Mark, uh, Daz, you've been communicating with Mark. Um, Mark is the one that got this the new book the new book out. There's also a couple of other books that people don't know about that never made it to the press. I think one of them's um, the Life and Miracles of Dr. Richard Arlen, and then there's a book that I have that's called The Psychedelic Unicorn, which he wrote about his experiences with the uh, the all the Army guys. Because let me tell you, he got he he he, he was a patriot. He was never able to serve in the active services, but he wanted to do something and he thoroughly enjoyed it. His, 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 he enjoyed his time working with us. And 
um, psychedelic unicorn was his his way of uh, rewarding us on that. Tons of people have come out to 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 visit us. A lot of you guys know Rob Abbott's Abbott, uh, Skip Atwater, Paul Bond, Prudence Calabrese, Colonel Channon, Hideyuki, Kokubo, Cam Madge, Paul Smith, uh, video crews from Crazy Rulers of the World, Hawaiian Moving Company, Korean Broadcasting, uh, the crews from Men Who Stare Goats, um, uh, geez, Hitomi Akamato, Akamatsu, um, several of them joined the guild. Hitomi joined the guild, so did Colonel Channon. This is a photo from Prudence's uh, luau. We gave her a, a really big welcome. She stayed with us for about a week. And let me tell you, after she left, the women in the guild, there were a lot of them, the women in the guild were very unruly. They started flexing their muscles. Uh, this is my quote for Prudence. It was like meeting Tinkerbell at Woodstock. And I would check the bathroom every morning to see if there were footprints on the floor, but there weren't. So the alien guy always left wet footprints in the bathroom, if you guys ever kept up with any of that. Uh, very, very talented. Uh, probably one of the most psychic women I've ever met. Um, super talented. Gave her an esoteric target, bl completely blind. She blasted it out of the universe. Impressive. I didn't like it when she had to go underground. I had Skip Atwater. What a nice guy, but man, he's high maintenance. And he'd come to the islands. Cedar would have to drive him around everywhere. We'd have to do all this stuff, help him do this, help him do that. But still a wonderful guy, and I'd do anything for him. You guys know who that is. That's that's the bear. That's Paul. Uh, Paul came out. His requirements were a little bit tougher than Skip. Uh, he had to have special food. And uh, he liked to dine outside. This is the crew, Paul, Dick, Sita, Ann, Deborah, Vern, and me. Um, good stuff. Oh, Wayne. Oh, not, not Wayne Carr. This is... This is Cordy Brown. Cordy Brown came out and visited us. And let me tell you, I just, once he starts talking, man, there's just no, no quieting him down. Uh, had a blast with him. I mean, can't complain. Uh, this is back when me and Daz and Lynn, we were trying to get him back down to planet Earth. So, and I was always a little skeptical of Cordy, but I, 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 Lynn, can I interrupt? Those, those are the filing cabinets from the infamous Alamo incident. A lot of people here just saw that, but those, those are the filing cabinets that you had Valter pick. Those were all our sessions to that date. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Oh, no yeah. worries, man. <clears throat> Since its formation, this is a little outdated now, but we hosted over a thousand eighty formal classes. Uh, meetings for the membership and that's years and years and years and years worth of classes and instruction dick was there for pretty much all of it um, we're community minded uh, we've served on the, i've been the president i've been the president of irva i've been the vice president and director 
Deborah was a director as well as a secretary. Jason Becerra was a secretary, and Sean Mahoney was a director at, at Irva. So, you know, we, we try to play in the playground. Uh, lots of presentations. This isn't all of them, but uh, we did lots of presentations at, at Irva where we tried to tell everyone something they didn't know or something that would entertain them. Uh, NLP is a big part of our methodology. And I got a couple of graphics to show you what, what happens when you train your brain to put a visual information in a specific place where you don't normally see. This was the first one that happened. This is way back in 1998. Um, koala bear on a branch. Uh, gestaltically, he nailed it. Without drawing a koala bear, he nailed it. This is Barton, one of our guys from a little bit later, but his 2D concept of a 3D concept. Good. This is this is this thing he saw when he closed his eyes. He knew. We do do some strange stuff. You can't remote view for 25 years and just wait every week to get your target. So all along the way, people have experiences. They want to look at this. They want to check that out. And so we've had lots of programs, lots of projects. Um, masking and entrainment. I think Dick gave the uh, yeah Dick gave uh, presentations at Irva regarding those. Uh, Veronica, that's that's uh, Dave Barnes, our uh, VP up in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. Um, Cloak and Dagger was awful fun. If you haven't seen that, it's still available to be seen on Irva, but I don't think you can buy it anymore. They've kind of canceled all their contracts for video release. Um, masking and training. This is this is in two thousand. Three, 2004, I first started introducing the concept of masking to these guys. Because if you think about it, if a target ID works, then masking must work. Because a target ID is just a mask. So Dick took that to heart. I mean, we had big, we had some pretty long classes where we discussed the theory, the possibilities, and we would create different places, some of them very large. Uh, this is Dick. At work, getting paid by the TD company to do remote viewing, which I thought was a little obscene, but that's Dick. Uh, he's plotting and planning. He's sketching, designing. And Dick, you can always jump in. You know that. Uh, he had a an artist do his complete Tanner mask dam. Tanner Dam mask in a in a piece of artwork, which I got in the back room. And Dick, if you want it, it'll cost you big time. From masking and entrainment, uh, about a decade ago, I kind of got everybody together and I said, uh, well, more than a decade ago, I said, you know, you guys, Dick, you did masking and entrainment, you presented it at Irva, but what have you guys done lately? Somebody needs to take this and push the design forward. And that's when the, the idea about constructs and consciousness uh, began to emerge. This is Deborah Duggan Takagi. Uh, she took that needing to heart and she designed a new way to mask consciousness within consciousness and produce results in reality. 
her project is about six years old now, and I would love to tell you about it, uh, but I can't. Can't tell you about a couple other things we did. You guys might remember Lieutenant Colonel James Channon, good friend, guild member, uh, personal mentor to me. We discussed a lot of things over the years about how to make something be, how to make something happen. And I got a couple of projects that came out. First one was Savin Kimbo. Um, you hear a lot of people about, well, can you stop somebody from remote viewing you? And the answer is, yeah, you can. And Savin Kimbo is our operational, uh, whoa, buddy, you can't look at me. Um, and that one's been going in some form for almost 17 years. Current big project that I do personally is called Harlequin Damocles. Um, can't tell you nothing about it because it'll spoil it. I'll tell you something about it at a conference sometime uh, when you guys do enough stuff for, for me to get some results. So big thing we teach at the Guild is learn to think in images. I mean, you can take uh, Starry Starry Night here, you know, uh, Don McLean, uh, paint your palette blue and you know you could you could you can learn to teach yourself to interpret the gist of your your English or whatever language you speak straight individuals and learn to think in visuals as a language as a second language it's very helpful and with that questions uh unless Dick's got something I'm here. Any questions about that? Do you want? I'll, maybe I'll continue on. I'll show a couple slides really quick. Most of you have seen my work, right? So I don't need to show. Great haircut, Dick. I'm you're, coming you're back. Early. Go down to the enlistment place. Yeah, you're looking healthy, Dick. I'm not all the way healthy, but getting better. Here's my. Uh, most recent moment of glory, I did that for you, Daz. When Glenn says thinking images, that's what he taught me to do, is to, yeah, see the target. Uh, so, and that one was, that was fun. Uh, Glenn touched on this. This is the, in Kalihi, when we began, Glenn said, if you guys want to do this, show up on Friday night. And we had, tables and chairs with paper and all we paid for was the paper and pens it cost us $25 a month and my training lasted formal in class every week 18 years and I learned something new every time so when people say how long does it take to remote view it can take a good long time uh, but that's our original classroom that's Jimmy Williams uh, talking that's Sita over there this was one of my first hits done blind in class it was the watchtower this place under construction in texas and i drew the tall man-made structure the tree the uh rectangular feature and that was one of my first big hits that was like oh my god this worked and i re i remember that eerie feeling of projecting my awareness like i was only partly in the classroom there were like 14 other people there with me. 
so that progressed to what I'm able to do recently is see things before they happen. This was the huge uh, uh, Iraqi general. Um, and I did this about two weeks before it happened. I'm pretty good at seeing people. If you train to close your eyes and put it up on Blackboard and demand it, it'll happen. That was the trucker strike we did before it happened. We do a lot of crypto targets. This one is, it's amazing how sometimes you get just a brief flash, but you let your pen draw it and you, you can kind of get a caricature of the people. Here's one where I got three people on one target that was blind, totally blind. Uh, this is the Chainlink founders. So quite frankly, that amazed me. I saw that in the debrief and I was like, holy crap, look what I did. I, I didn't know I did that. Uh, here's a mudslide that I saw just before it happened. This guy I captured pretty good, got the tattoos. Didn't draw them exactly right. About three more. Uh, we do cryptos. Daz has also got a bunch of these where Daz has hit the charts too. So Daz and I complement each other very well. It's great working with Daz. Uh, he's, he's had some amazing hits. This was an archeological discovery that I got the gist of. Surprising findings of hidden history. Glenn told me, well, Dick, why don't you go back and do a week in the life of whoever's bones that was? I'm like, oh, push, 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 get more, more, more. They gave us Tom Hanks as a blind target. And uh, I got some pretty good, interesting data on him. Before the uh, brush fires blacked out San Francisco, I made a prediction that, hey, there's, I see a big city with pad, like it's dark in the daytime. And our favorite, what I was just suffering from. And this is the one that creeped me out the worst. I was doing a monthly event and I went out and bilocated and I saw these tents up in a field and everybody's running like, oh, they're afraid of death. It's like a state fair. And when I saw it, it was the garlic festival shooting incident and they were all running. I saw it and it was like seeing a movie that I'd already seen. So um, that's me showing off a bit, but I thank you, Glenn, because I followed the methodology that you taught me uh, to, I don't deviate from it. I do it, I try to do it exactly step-by-step step how you taught it. And I've applied myself many years. I don't think I'm any uh, more special than anyone else psychically. I'm just tenacious as hell. So well, one of the things that, that we remember about the remote viewing community is that the early days were really tough. They were really rough. Uh, it took a while for the growing pains of the community to kind of like settle down and uh, and like it's kind of normal, but people kind of like built their own castles in different places. And it's still kind of like that today. I keep waiting to see that uh, evaporate, but uh, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Well, crypto viewing has managed to, uh, Daz and I work together closely. We're good buddies. We have a thriving business. We have uh, Edward Reardon and 
Naeem and uh, anybody that produces good data, it's a performance-based skill. So Gaz steps up every week and does his thing and uh, it's, a, it's a great team. So that's, that's one of our biggest accomplishments is, is melding different schools without hostility. Yeah. Well, I've always tried to stay away from the money, uh, but I will tell you that the, the crypto guys, and a matter of fact, Sita is on a two-year sabbatical from HRBG right now so that she can, she can teach commercially. Uh, so, but of all the people that I've seen along the way try to make money using remote viewing, the crypto group are the only ones that are doing it, doing it right and doing it in a big way. I was talking to uh, the founder and he said, Glenn, we've made a hundred millionaires. I'm going, holy cow, a hundred millionaires. I don't know if they still got it today after Bitcoin has been taking the big, <laughs> big nose dives, but mm. oh yeah. So that's impressive. That's, it's not gonna happen in an ARV contest someplace up north, won't happen. Okay, Daz, your show. Excellent, guys. It's great to see the overview, and thanks for that. Um, and I'm, I have to be honest, working with Dick all these years, I'm every week on crypto viewing, uh, I'm in awe of the way he can sketch the people in the targets. And to, I have to be honest, I, you know, after seeing the way Dick does those, I, I just don't even bother. I mean, why do I need to bother when he does it so well? I'm, I'm the logo guy. I'm pretty good on doing logos, but that's because I'm a, I guess I'm a graphic designer. Um, so I, 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 uh, the the warship you just drew. I mean, I I think Daz, you should just do it. Just let your hand go and intuitively do maybe, it. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I guess I got lazy over the years because I thought, well, if, you know, everyone else did. Everyone else is really good at doing the uh, people, so I I stay away from the people. Um, but you do an absolutely amazing job. And as I said, every week I see them and I see how close they are to their their images, and I'm like, damn, that's good. Well, Daz, there's an effect in remote viewing called DOE, Division of Effort, where yes. a group yeah. of remote viewers working a common target at a common time automatically kind of like divvy it up amongst themselves. Whatever they want to get, they'll go ahead, they'll go get. So it's it's kind of a, yeah, it, it holds true, whether it's CRV, TRV, yeah. SRV, HRVG. As soon as you guys get together, it, uh, yeah, it, it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Daz, can I promo our new uh, presentation, the, the looking glass people that are here today? Yeah, go for it. Familiar with this, but uh, let me share a screen. Okay. This is really interesting. We, had, uh, we have the advanced group of trained HRVG viewers called looking glass. And Glenn and Sean and I give them validation targets every week. In one week, when it was time to do the validation target, something popped up on Facebook and I was, I had the time set aside and I was going to be targeteering and I saw this picture and I went, oh man, don't, don't look at that. Don't think of that. And so I tried to set it aside and I thought, well, I'll find something else. I kept thinking about that. And it was like, okay, I give in, I'm going to, I'm going to task this because it's a real thing. So we gave it to the group and uh, they provided some really interesting, well-corroborated data. And I'm editing it uh, 
this week. I just finished the first edit and we'll probably put it up next week. And without any more ado, here is, it's called the crop circle. This was the first crop circle of the current season. It was May 22nd in uh, Wiltshire, the UK. Daz, you guys neck of the wood over in the UK. And it is a real thing. It's a real design in the, um, in the field there. And the remote viewers got amazing data. So that's going to be published on patreon.com slash crypto view. A little advertisement. Glenn never does it for money, but you have to pay. It'll Glenn never does crop circles either, Dick. <laughs> well, this was you have to admit this was interesting, Glenn. And it was, we yeah. look at this crop circle and then we go back to some data we got on an earlier crop circle, and the discussion is worth the price of admission. So it's about a 45, 50 minute presentation and it's really good. Patreon.com slash crypto viewing. There I let me let me clarify looking glass real quick. CETA teaches students in a commercial uh, effort called looking glass. Once they graduate looking glass, they get the opportunity to move over to the looking glass working group, which is which is an autonomous, well actually Oz and yeah, Oz also feeds the Looking Glass Working Group. Uh, Omid right now is the elected leader of the working group. So he's got probably between 30 and 35 remote viewers in there that have all have a common degree of training. And they do validation work. They do this and they do that. But the thing is, is the working group is autonomous. They're not linked to cryptos. They're not linked to us. They're not linked to anyone. So they can actually pursue their own destiny. But the crypto guys do look at the working group uh, to see who might be wanting, wanting to step up to a paid remote viewing job, which I don't have a problem with. It's, 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 it seems to be fair. But as CETA graduates classes once every four months, then looking group, uh, the, the working group actually gets a boost in its membership. And then uh, pretty soon they're going to have the largest number of commonly trained remote viewers working working on projects. So that excellent. Is is there a is there a like a public uh, way that people on maybe the social media sites could could access or get hold of the people involved in 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 these groups? Well, Omid has them on Microsoft Teams, uh, but we've already told them they need to establish their own identities you know, their own identity, get their, get a website going and uh, promote that. So uh, give them some time. They're, they're coming around. Um, like I said, they're good guys. Well, if any of you guys need a, you know, any exposure or, or anything on, on the Facebook groups and, and the larger uh, community, just hit me up and uh, I'll help arrange some of that for you. Hey, Sean, we've been leaving Sean out. We should bring him in and have him detail his, oh. uh, how he got into involved with us. And uh, thanks, Dick. Um, I've just been sitting back enjoying the conversation because it's been uh, it's been really fun. Um, yeah. So my name is Sean Mahoney. Uh, I got into remote viewing in 2012, and uh, I I pursued uh, as much uh, experience as I could. I learned from uh, David Morehouse's book first, and later went on to take training from uh, Teresa Frisch, who teaches Lynn Buchanan's methodology of uh, CRV. Then I took uh, Paul Smith's uh, DVD course, 
Um, I read books on TRV and SRV, but I was at the 2016 Herba Conference uh, down in New Orleans, and Glenn uh, did another amazing presentation on HRVG, and CETA was there as well. And uh, I approached CETA afterwards and I said, are you guys training? Because I would love to learn the HRVG methodology. And, you know, she and Dick, or, or sorry, she and Glenn got together and, and said, yeah, we'll train you. So I took training in late 2016, early 2017, and I joined the guild shortly after that. And um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. These, these guys are doing all kinds of really neat pioneering work in taking remote viewing to the next level. Um, the, the work with the Verona Cube and uh, masking and entrainment and you know all the different fun projects that Glenn talked about. It's really about exploring what is possible with consciousness. Um, and uh, it's you know it's it's a playground and there's just so much unpicked fruit. Um, so I'm one of the people that that believes in uh, remote viewing's potential for problem solving. So I know that this world we live in is uh, is not short on problems. And um, I've done some, you know, kind of experiments, uh, you know, on the side where we've utilized remote viewing to, to diagnose and solve a problem. And the, the one easy one I can reference here for you guys is um, I have a, a Jeep Wrangler uh, that, I, that I drive for a personal vehicle. And I love that thing. Uh, I'm, I'm a Jeep guy. I actually used to work for Jeep as an engineer. And um, one of the problems that Jeeps have is when you put a lift kit on them, uh, they've got a solid front axle. And when you modify the suspension of a solid front axle vehicle, they're prone to something called um, uh, death wobble. <laughs> it's, not, it, it's a scary term and it feels scary when you're in the vehicle. Basically what happens is if you have any play in any suspension component and you hit a road input like a, a bumper or something like that, it can set the suspension into a resonance frequency and the steering wheel shakes, the vehicle shakes, it feels like you're gonna die. And the only way to stop it is to slow down and, and almost, you know, come to a complete stop. And so when I put a lift on my Jeep, because I wanted to have a lot of fun out in the, in the mm -hmm. desert of Moab, I developed death wobble. Now, if you guys, it, probably everybody's had this experience. You have a problem with your car, you take it to the dealer, and they start replacing parts until they fix it, right? Sometimes you replace two or three parts before finally they find out what's, what's wrong. Well, death wobble is, is an expensive problem to diagnose because you can't um, very easily determine what the root causes. And sometimes it's more than one thing. So I actually taught my uh, daughters to remote view during the, the summer lockdowns of COVID. And we did uh, HRVG uh, visual ideograms. It's the first protocol you usually start out with where you close your eyes and look at the target. And I tasked them with what's the problem with my Jeep? <laughs> what's, the, what's the problem with the suspension causing this, this death wobble? And actually I can share my screen and, uh, and show you guys, let's see here. So can you guys see my screen? Yes. Okay, so here's my Jeep. And I had a pretty mild case of death wobble because it didn't happen very often. But there was one place, you see that manhole cover in the road there by this church. Every time I hit that manhole cover, which is depressed in the road a little bit, it's kind of hard to see in the picture. Every time I hit that going 45 miles an hour, it would set off that death wobble. And so uh, that, was my, that was my proving grounds. That was my test spot because I knew I could get it there every time. And my one daughter drew a road 
with wavy lines to, I think that's a symbolic representation of the steering wheel going back and forth. She drew this round circle with these little divots and I asked her what it was. And she said, it's like one of those metal plates in the road. And I was like, oh, manhole cover. And the last picture she drew is like, like this light bulb. My other daughter drew this uh, table and chairs with kind of stubby legs. She drew these waves, which I think if you were to plot death wobble on a XY axis, that's what it would look like. And then she drew a little dog with, you know, four stubby legs. So when I started looking at, you know, the, the list of suspension components that could be the problem, uh, the only thing that really fit was ball joints. So underneath this rubber boot is what looks like a light bulb. It's a, it's a socket with a stud at the end. And if you see, it's got these castle nuts, which the table and chair, I can see that being a, you know, in a 10 year old's representation. So I said, okay. So I went to a trusted shop and I said, guys, I got death wobble. I want to fix, replace the ball joints. They said, well, we looked at your ball joints, but we don't think that's the problem. There's a little play, but probably not enough to cause it. We think it's your, your steering dampener. I was like, let's do the ball joints first. And if that doesn't fix it, we'll come back and do the steering dampener. They're like, okay. And so sure enough, replace the ball joints, Jeep was fixed. So a five to 10 minute remote viewing exercise gave me the answer to a very expensive problem. What else could we do with remote viewing to solve the problems in our world? Um, I think that there's a lot of potential there. So I'll get off my, uh, let people ask questions. There's, there's a really good question from Pablo Glenn. Did you see that? What is the most bizarre experience regarding Richard Ireland that you can share? I know the story of the gravesite, but tell us a good Richard Ireland story. Well, you, you guys, the special forces, you guys hired him and took him into a lab and back engineered his yeah we didn't we didn't trust anything he said or, or we didn't believe anything that we saw when we went and visited him we went and caught his show several times uh when we got into the lab we painted his his forehead and eyes and almost all of his nose over with flower paste because when it dries it uh it, it hardens and then if you open your eyes you're going to crack the paste and it's going to be easy to detect and uh, we had a series of things that we wanted him to read. And uh, he was very successful at that. But the strangest thing that we've seen him do was he was an, he's an old world mentalist magician type. The guy could make clouds of ectoplasm appear in the room. If you don't know what ectoplasm is, uh, it's 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 a word that's not used anymore, but it's it's something that it used to be stock performance stuff. And uh, he to get even to get into the room, he'd have to almost strip naked, and and uh, he'd be checked out to make sure he didn't have this, didn't have that, and then he'd go into uh, into the the exam room, and he could literally make ectoplasm form in the air. And one of the things that I didn't I didn't really I don't want to say it didn't like. He did a lot of channeling, which I always thought channeling was right up there with, uh, you know, the carnivals, you know, the, the a carny act. Uh, but he would do a lot of channeling, uh, and I got a bunch of his channel stuff. Uh, uh, chief Crowfoot, he would channel an Indian chief named Chief Crowfoot, and I used to give him a hard time about that all the time. But Chief Crowfoot could 
Crowfit could pick lottery numbers and tell you where oil was. So, and Richard made a lot of money off Crowfoot and Texas millionaires wanting to know where to drill next. So he did that for a while. I thought that was real impressive. And uh, Glenn, um, I think you told us one time too that uh, he would wear a big diamond ring. And when people would say, oh, you're psychic, how come you're not rich? And he'd say, I am rich. <laughs> yeah. What, what does yeah. ectoplasm look like? Sorry. Uh, it's like if uh, some old voodoo queen had put something on on you and it was creeping under the door, billowing up, and it 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 it's kind of like a sticky fog. That's the best way to explain it. You could actually sense a, a stickiness to it. Now, who can do that, and why? Who'd want to do Thank that? Thank you for sharing, Glenn. Really amazing. Yeah. Well. Uh, I could tell you, but he had this thing that he would do where he'd throw empty notepads into a box with a bunch of little pencils in it, close the box up and have two people sit on sit side by side and they'd put the box between them. The guys would lean their ears up against the box and they could hear the pencils moving and the, and the paper fluttering. And then uh, when they opened the box after his show, uh, everything, everybody's questions from the audience were already answered on these little stubs of uh, like, like a, when golfers go out, how they keep, you know, the little notebooks where they keep their scores. So, yeah, it's just magical. But again, some of it was way, way beyond what I could accept. But what he could do is uh, he could remove you like you would not believe. And Glenn, quick question. There was something he did with his fingers, like electricity or something like that. Yeah. He used to like to freak freak us out doing that. He could take his fingers and get them like this far away. And you could pass your hand through his fingers and you could feel like a little spaghetti, like a little spaghetti. You could just feel it. And then the closer he move his fingers, the firmer the spaghetti gets. And then you could squeeze it and it would split in half and one would go above and one would go below your fingers. And electrically, I don't know, beats the hell out of me. Das, what was he doing? Chi energy, maybe, I guess. I don't I don't know. Well, I've seen to... the Filipino guys that can light paper on fire, yeah. you know. Yeah. They do this big show and yeah. yeah, so yeah. I don't know. It's a hard Probably one that key. one. Yeah. Dimmy's had her hand up for a very long time. Dimmy, would you like to ask, ask your question? Yes, thank you. Thank you. And uh, glad to see you all here. Um, well, I have like three questions, but I'm I will resume to one for now if it's possible. Uh, you are talking about masking and entrainment. And if I understand correctly, you didn't say it, you cannot talk about it. So can you talk more about it? Uh, masking and entrainment thing, please. Thank you. Uh, Ricardo. Oh, man. I spent about eight years of my life on that project. Um, I gave it in the summer of 2009, was it? Uh, yep. I worked, I, I spent, I think the biggest misconception people have is that, oh, I can remote influence, it's just energy and I just think these thoughts. The amount of work and design into a successful mask is incredible. I mean, it's, uh, I put so much detail into that Tanner Dam place 
Um, and I still, the, the best understanding I had of entrainment is that you don't cause something to happen. You just, uh, what's the word I want to use? Resonate. You observe it. You allow it to happen and be in a place where you're going to resonate with it. It's like you're on a slow moving river and you're on a raft and there's other stuff going with you and you understand that concept well, that you're, you're, help me out, Glenn. Yeah. yeah. Masking is pretty simple. Target ID itself is only a mask. Target ID only gets you to the playground. Uh, so you can take that target ID and the the location or person place thing that it represents, and you could mask over that with some other imagery. Well, and that works fine, and especially if you don't want people to know what the, what what target they worked. It's a thing in the military, but not necessarily civilians think that they're doing. You know they're being used in some way uh but yeah so masking facilitates getting data about a target that they don't they, they don't know what the actual target is but they'll give you data that can process through analysis in the entrainment aspect comes when you bring two things that target and another thing under observation and you 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 continue to observe those two things until they until they come like uh, I'll give you an example a simple example like you're in Alabama and you live in a trailer in a trailer park and across the road there's another trailer and there's a guy there that gets up every morning and he goes out you can hear his squeaky trailer door and he jumps in his truck and he and he and he and he hauls ass going to work so if you look at the clock and at that exit, when he leaves his trailer every morning and he, he looks at the clock, um, those two data sets over time will come into kind of a cohesion. They'll correlate. So after you get enough information, you'll be able to predict just by looking at your, at your clock what time he's actually going to open the door. And if you're there to see it, it'll happen. If you're not there, it won't happen. So the experimenter's effect and the observer's effect are, are critical aspects of, of, in, of actually entrainment. Uh, I remember Deborah's entrainment, I, her first entrainment project was to take some ribbon, go out in the yard underneath her trees and make a ribbon off a square of ground. And then every day at a, at a specific time, go outside and count the number of leaves that had fallen within that square during the night and then clear off the leaves, record the number of leaves she counted and then go look at a stock, at, a, at the stock page, at a specific stock and track the data until you could line them up to where one was able to predict the other. So that's kind of like the, an example of the, the theory. And it's only limited by your imagination, your imagineering and your designing. So, Given those things, those are like the basics of all the advanced stuff at HRVG. I mean, Deborah can build a conscious within, she can create a construct of consciousness within consciousness and then actually make reality, uh, yeah, realize the data that she wanted to realize. So it's, it's, it's out there, but it just, 
it's just got to be something you want to do. I mean, you guys are all remote viewers. You're not just going to work Target all the rest of your life, are you? Going to be 83 waiting for dads to send out this week's Target? No. Hopefully, you're going to jump on the broom, put on your hat, and fly. Because it's all magic. It is. Thank you very much. Another question. I got one here from uh, Rick, Richard Krankowski. I think he's here tonight as well, but this was on Facebook. He says, has the HRVG procedure changed in any way over the last 20 years? Um, mm -hmm. And has the HRVG community at large become infatuated with anonymous alien targeting like the CRV community? Um no, we never were. Uh, Richard's been around a long time. We, Richard's been in the guild. He's an alumnus of the guild. Uh, geez, 20 years. I mean, I remember the, the instructors complaining about Krankowski. Uh, <laughs> I think Sita was your... Yeah. She, she, she pulled a short straw and, you, and she got you... Uh, but uh, that's not to, I mean, you were all, you always ask questions. You were always very exacting. So no, it's good to see you again. I'm glad to see you around. And we got the same color hair now. I mean, when you need, oh, yeah. you used to be a redhead, man. I need, so, I need something here, though. Ah, give it a go. This is only Richard, half the Richard also asked what protocols of HRVG I use when I'm doing crypto viewing targets. When I'm doing a woo-woo target, um, you know, if, if they just give us a target ID, like A, A1, B2, C, D, 3, 4, and it's not crypto, I do it. I use the exact protocol of pick up the pen, write the word ideogram, slide over, write page one. I do visual ideogram, play fair. I do it all by that. When I'm doing a... Uh, current events, you know, like what's going to happen next month. And to a great extent, crypto targets, if I know it's a crypto. Uh, sometimes with cryptos, I'll do the full session. Uh, but a cryptocurrency is such a nebulous concept. I mean, it's a bunch of computer code. Um, what we're trying to go after is Who's the, who are the people that are running it? Uh, what are the people that own it? What are they going to feel? Um, so when I do those kind of targets, it's, it, I don't want to compare myself to like Jerry Garcia, but um, after doing, Glenn always told us you could use any protocol to do a whole session. So I know how to probe. I can use the Nemo icon. I can close my eyes and look. I have a whole bunch of tools in my toolbox. So I might start in a, the, you know, you, you're playing guitar in F, but you can play notes that are G minor, A minor, B flat, and it'll still fit. So what I do is, is it becomes sort of free form where I'm, I'll say, okay, I want to see the person and I'll write life human one and i'll make an ideogram or a nemo and i close my eyes and i look and then i just i go from there part of it is remote viewing so much for 25 years i've done so many thousands of sessions is i can get away with just sitting down and, and doing it uh glenn calls that tagging 
Um, it's just being, it's using those tools at a given moment. Kind of hard to describe. I, I wouldn't suggest it for people without a lot of experience that, I mean, for my money, you just can't beat that structure of sitting down with a target ID and you don't have to be psychic. You don't have to describe the target. You just have to write ideogram, page one, your name, draw a line, do the ID, do the target ID, put the target ID on blackboard, close your eyes for a second and a half and draw something. Doesn't matter, you know, at this point, well, it could be right, it could be wrong. And then low level, you're probing for simplex or complex or, you know, very low level data. And it grows and grows and grows. And before you know it, you're at the end of the session, you've got all this amazing data. So I, I like the structure that walks you through it step by step by step by step. Okay. Dick, Richard follow Frankowski, I once worked 30 targets in 30 days for you. I have that, I have a journal of that. I don't recall that one. <laughs> uh, we were, the question was the file drawer effect, like, Dick, do you only show your best sessions? Of course we all do. I mean, every that's the good thing about the remote viewing community is when you totally blow a session and make an ass of yourself, it gets put away and nobody's, you know, I wouldn't ever dare call up somebody's bad session and hold it up. Look at that, what an idiot. You know, we, we highlight the good data. So I think this was about, uh, 17 years ago, maybe. And you you ask about the file drawer effect. And I've I've got the I've got the notebook somewhere in my files where I said, okay, I'm gonna do a target a day off of Lynn Buchanan's site for 30 days. And you could see my performance go, wow, I'm on, I'm on for three days, and then I'm off, and then oh, I'm on, then I'm off, and oh, that's kind of good, and that's kind of bad. And then oh, all of a sudden, uh there's something to be said for regular remote viewing. You know, if you just try to remote, like, oh, we've got the big project. It's the big mystery for paranormal. Well, you're going to sit down and your mind's not going to be ready. It's like validation target after validation target. It's a good thing. Dick, you mentioned Nemo, and we had a question from Josh Maitland on Facebook, and he said, um, what did the different points on the little compass tool uh, used in HRVG mean? And I think he's on about the, the Nemo thing. Could you explain okay. that for some people? Yeah, I can do that. Um, Nemo is a reflection of your face, so Nemo is you. We put a radial here, uh, up, the, up the center line. We put one here, across one diagonal and one diagonal. It's based on neuro-linguistic programming. So look at my eyes, everybody. If, if you ask me a question, Dick, what color was your first car? I'd go, it's red. And you see my eyes would, uh, without me thinking, um, what's the word, involuntarily, like, what, was your, what did your mom's voice sound like? my eyes go this way. If I go out to a Korean bar with my friends and my wife says, what did you do last night? I go, 
oh, we were playing music and uh, just talking and you see my eyes go this way, that's construct. So the, it's a reverse engineering to set up the, uh, and Glenn will jump in here in a moment, but the, the concept is that your subconscious already knows about the target and you just need to prompt a recall. It's a way to query. I see people, not to criticize other methods, but I see people working methods where they're just sitting there with no structure trying to write words down. And in HRVG methodology, every bit of data is prompted by a specific action that is designed to signal a response. And when you do that over and over and over again, it builds a neural pathway to do that. So if I am going to look for a visual on that Nemo, I go to the upper radial and on Nemo, it's on the right on the page, but I'm looking up and to the left. So that's visual recall is that one. This one over here is auditory recall and down into the left is kinesthetic feelings and emotions. Um, if I wanna know what a, like there's people at the target, how are they gonna feel in a month when this is all over? I would go to the future side. And there's also a timeline. There's, there's a whole bunch of really nifty little ways to shift your consciousness and if you imbue that magic into the icon, it comes to life and it will work. I mean, I did one where I can start on the center line, smells and tastes are in the middle, and I can go, I wanna go backwards to where something was different and I just twirl down and I go, right there, feels right. I probe and look, and uh, I've been successful with that. How's that explanation, Glenn or Sean? Fair, fair. Uh, the Nemo icon, it's the neurointerrogation mask overlay. Uh, primarily, it's used as, as a tool to assist you in remembering. So you start your session, no matter what you, what you did, uh, you do a lot of probing. You know, uh, CRV, you guys do probes, you do this, you do that. HRVG, they do a lot of probing. So after you've done all this probing, uh, you can use the Nemo, the the Nemo icon itself to remember something. You don't always have to go to the target. You don't always have to displace a portion of your awareness to the target. You can use the Nemo icon to remember something from that you've already been exposed to. Um, there's a, an exercise that'll kind of show you, uh, it's a simple exercise. Uh, let's say, uh, I walk into a restaurant, Dick sitting at a table across the room. I clear my mind. I watch Dick. I do everything he does at the same time. Because of the body language, if I listen, if I listen to my mind carefully, I can know what he's thinking because his body tells me everything that he's doing. And it's probably one of the biggest cheats that science would they wouldn't that's why they don't want you in a room when when some somebody's doing something is because the the body just the reversal of the body language you mimicking his body language will, will cause the same type of uh, low-level gestaltic 
uh, emotions, ideas, concepts to occur in your own brain. So we use the Nemo icon to, to focus on what we already know about the target and not some new grab to get more data from a target. I mean, pretty soon you fill up, you get more than you can, you can handle. Hope that helps. I guess everybody's familiar with what it looks like. I'll give a really, I'll show a, an example here real quick. Where's my screen share? You can see here's a session I did. Here's my probes up here for visual, for audio, for kinesthetic and any, you know, feelings and concepts, and then probes here for the smells and taste. So you can see I was milking that pretty heavy. Each probe, each time my pen touches that, I realize a bit of data. So that's Nemo. And for those of you in the looking glass, that's the size it's supposed to be, not, not a big half-page half clown. Not meant to be instruction. Yeah. Thanks for that, guys. And something else that's been asked, um, and this was from Charlotte. Uh, she asked this in the chat window. And this is a word that I, I know from a different understanding on, on the internet. But she asked about the word and the technique, uh, I think is from Dick, called edging. Um, and he says, she says that edging is used very, uh, very heavily in the process of Dick's sessions. Perhaps Glenn does also, uh, Glenn does also. But would she would appreciate hearing uh, your process with, with your term edging? I'll, I'll, I'll get this one, Dick. Edging is after you've gone through S4, uh, you're on your way. I mean, HRVG always starts out as uh, alert beta e, uh, RV, but then it actually ends. If you go a complete uh, HRVG session, it, it ends in, in HR in uh, uh, it ends in ERV. So, edging is a is a breathing exercise that they that that the viewer does so that they can get to a position called full stop by off-gassing oxygen or air. They off-gas carbon dioxide. So there's a position where you're, you lightly, very, very lightly touch your eyelids and that pretty much shuts down the optic nerve. The traffic, the traffic balance on the optic nerve is greatly reduced just by this, a simple touch on your eyelids. You never wanna push on your eyelids. So there's an actual uh, uh, technique to put your thumbs together because your thumbs are always exactly the same length as your eyelids. So you can rest your forehead on your forefingers, just barely touch your eyes to, to quieten that, that, that noise coming off the optic nerve. And then you begin a, an exercise of off-gassing uh, CO2. The urge to breathe is caused by a buildup of CO2, not by a lack of, not by a lack of oxygen or air. Uh, you can't blow out all the air in your lungs. There's all, there'll always be a residual uh, amount of air in your lungs. So after 23 to 25 repetitions of off-gassing CO2, you'll find that your body noise goes way down. And the whole time that you're doing this breathing exercise, you're looking on Blackboard. There'll be all kinds of imagery. And the, the, the challenge is remember everything you see because you're gonna to have to record it later. 
So you're off-gassing, off-gassing, watching Blackboard, watching Blackboard. And then there comes a point where after about 23, 24 repetitions, you just stop breathing. You stop off-gassing, you stop everything because this is the point when the diver dies. This is when he gets the shallow water blackout. So it's like, but because we're, we can breathe if we have to, you don't have any respiration noise. Your cardiac noise is, is way low. You don't have any optic noise. So it's the quietest that you can get your body. And you're looking on Blackboard uh, and you're looking for imagery and you find it by following the edges. You'll see the edges form. And then the thing is, is to go in just to, just to absorb it. And getting down to that full stop, like um, back when I was young and did a lot of diving, I could stay at full stop for probably two and a half to three minutes where I didn't have to breathe. Average person, it's going to be 20 to 45 seconds where they don't have to breathe. And so they get that extended period of time uh, in that position where they're looking in earnest on Blackboard, but they don't have any of this, this other noise. Noise is the single most enemy of remote viewing. So uh, edging is just that. It's an exercise to get you down because after edging, there's more to do uh, because what we the, the goal is, and it's mentally tiring too, by the way, the goal is to get you through edging and then priming and then boom, you're, you're done. You're, unless somebody wakes you up, you're, you're down for the count. So it's a, it's a, good, it's a good technique. The, the first time I did it successfully, I'll, this is a vivid memory in my life. Um, there was a, it was fire docks, PJ Guineer or uh, Lynn Buchanan. There was a, there were targets. There was a beacon target. And so I took a beaconing target and the seven, 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 eight, one, two, three, nine, zero. And I, I worked the paper session visual ideogram and I worked for about 45 minutes and I got through S4 and I had a building uh, multi level, it was cold. Uh, the best smell I got was the smell of clothing when you're out in the cold and you come in, it has a smell. And that's, you don't smell that in Hawaii, but I remember it from when I lived in Utah. So I, I had low level data, I'm working a blind target and I did the edging thing. And I, it was very quiet where I was and I came to that stop and it just came on me without really realizing it was all of a sudden these images kind of formed. And like Glenn said, I followed the edges and suddenly I was up above and it, it really wasn't too color. It was kind of washed out, but I was like from a surveillance camera angle and it was a men's clothing. And there was a guy in a gray jacket, like a, a trench coat type, not a trench coat, but a longer jacket. And he was walking through and he touched a suit and then he looked over and there were men's dress shirts in folded up in cellophane, you know, and like little on the shelves. And then he walked past and I woke up at the desk and I went, gee, what was that? That was the weirdest little dream. And I thought, was that, was that the target? Was that remote? So I drew it and it was very unsettling. And when I got feedback, the target was Colonel Bill Ray. 
he said, I'm at a PX in Germany. It's cold outside. And I went up and I'm looking through a men's style department store. And the hair on my arm stood up in the back of my neck. And I went, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I called Glenn. I said, Glenn, Glenn, I saw him. Settle down. What you've been doing? And it was um, quite amazing. It was, uh, it was something I'll always remember. But it worked. And it, when it works, it's cool as hell. Excellent. Thanks for that, Dick. And a question, and this is a bit of a weird question, but it was asked on Facebook uh, by a person called Dom. And they asked you if any of the HRVG people have, uh, have obtained inner peace in what you're doing. Wow. <laughs> bit of a hard one to answer, I guess. It, yeah, it is inner peace. Uh, we've seen, we've seen viewers go push on. I mean, we've been together for since 1996. You don't get. To, I mean, some people will give you a couple of years, and some people will give you a decade. Some people will give you two decades. They don't stay forever. But we, I have seen people move on to other things that were uh, more etheric. You know, like uh, yeah, I. I can remove you. I'm going to go find Buddha. You know, uh, I've, I've seen I've seen many of them actually do different do different things or resort to or change. They got this thing we call the Nostradamus factor, where guys will uh, they'll get skilled, they'll get really good, and then they go, you know, next thing you know, they're buying a turban and a cape. They're like ready. They're they're done. It's like I'm a wizard. So we see that, but you know, you gotta let people chase their egos where they where they go because yeah, you just gotta let them go. You gotta let them do it. But uh, inner peace, I don't know if anybody's ever found inner peace. I haven't found inner peace. I actually have anxiety. I have panic attacks. It, it's destabilizing. Part of it is my remote viewing led me to, I did a couple of, how do we put it? Um, forbidden tar targets that somebody didn't really want the true story. And somebody contacted me and said, that's a pretty good job you did there, Dick. You ought to, you should know some things. And so uh, led to a bunch of conversations that gave me a glimpse of how the world really works. And it's unsettling at best. So um, I, I try to that's that's one of the great things about the guild um back in the day we used to socialize glenn would have a brunch every sunday at his house he'd put out the bacon and eggs and we'd all get together and remote viewers need to keep each other sane like um edward reardon i talk with him regularly i mean he's easily as crazy as me if not crazier that's a in a good way so we bounce stuff off each other and we we talk a lot on our debriefs you know daz we should put some of the side chat that we don't record but it can be unsettling how are you sean i think you're probably the most peaceful of all of us <laughs> oh yeah, thanks. Sean has I, I i guess i'm good at uh putting uh putting a false front forward then <laughs> no, i'm just kidding um yeah i mean i'll, I'll second what you're saying there dick about um the community really being there for us um i remember when i first 
discovered remote viewing. And, you know, we've all had that experience, you know, where suddenly, you know, we discovered magic was real and it was, it kind of brings on a crisis, right? Because you start to question all these things you used to think you knew. And um, it is unsettling because you don't know, okay, well, what else do I think I knew that's not right? And um, it's hard enough in this world uh, as it is dealing with the skeptics because, uh, I mean, we, we always almost, or I should say almost always approach people very uh, timidly or defensively when we're, you know, telling somebody about remote viewing and, um, but it's just because we're conditioned to, you know, the world not believing in that uh, or being very skeptical of that and putting us down. So um, sometimes remote viewers are a little bit like uh, beaten dogs, you know, we're a little shy to share that side of ourselves with people that we're scared we're going to be judged by. So when we know we have a community of people we can talk to, um, we should be supporting each other and, and helping each other out as much as we can, because this world is hard enough as it is, uh, you know, with, with all that stuff going on. So, um, yeah, wherever we can, we should be collaborating and cooperating. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather we not squabble as much about the details of, you know, different nuances of the techniques and really found our, you know, cause there's so much more we have in common than, than our differences. Well, yeah, it's like Daz, um, when you drew, was it the, there was a bombing in Beirut and you drew it exactly and published that as a, you know, like three weeks before it happened. When you saw that happen, when you see the news event and go look at your, there's a, there's something that has to be resolved in your own mind, right? Like you, you, you had to go through a little something there. Uh Remote viewing always has had some problems, especially with dealing with target residue. Yeah. So you get, I mean, I remember when Lynn came up with his assigned witness program and it was like, okay, well, what kind of, what kind of things just stick to you along the way after working so many targets that, that I mean, it, it would take a really tough person to just see that whole thing all the way through. Uh, remote viewers themselves. I mean, there's a lot of, I suspect there's a lot of college educations in this group of people gathered right now. Why on earth would you believe in this? What educated person would believe that this was even possible when science doesn't believe in telepathy, science doesn't believe in remote viewing, science believes remote viewing is a cargo cult at best? <laughs> Why do we believe? And it's got to be something related to the experiential need that we have to, to, to be somewhere else, to see something else. So those are the types of things that that drive all of us up the mountain that we're going <laughs> along the way. You know, you gotta uh, you gotta figure out what you can do, how what your wingspan is, and what you can take take home and what you can't. And then, uh, geez, just the moods, the mood swings. If you've got any problems yeah. with uh, I don't want to say neurologic problems, but if you've got any problems dealing with stress, remote viewing can be a stress multiplier times a million. Yeah. And then you've got that inner stress of success or failure. What if I blow this? That's why I always tell the guys, you know, you know, I don't care if the target's the Taj Mahal and you give me a Volkswagen with 14 clowns packed in it. I don't care. I'll get intel out of it. I will. But for you, don't care, you know. Cordy Brown calls you on the phone and wants you to work Target again. Just hang up on the guy. Not today, dude. 
I'm done. Once you do it, you're done. You got to be able to walk away and let that residue expire. Yeah. Don't talk to taskers either. Don't talk to taskers. Don't trust anybody in the system above you. Just work the target and walk away. Okay. Great advice, guys. Uh, and yeah, I agree with Dick. It can't. Uh, well, both both of you really can have a toll on you. Um, I'm and you know you're in crypto view, and we we do a lot of projects that. Well, we just can't put out. Uh, to be honest, you know, because we're looking at future events and stuff, and some of the stuff we we see is 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 just a bit too controversial to to put out there and stuff. So we you know we have to have a lot of um, f good community chat afterwards off off air. I would say you know we have a we have a bit of uh, we have a quite a bit of banter and breaking it down afterwards, and and yeah, it's almost like um, degaussing ourselves. Uh, from some of the stuff we pick up with and uh, i had a, i had a conversation with dennis the other day dennis from crypto viewing because you know we we did a particularly uh interesting project looking ahead a couple of uh looking ahead a couple of months well a couple of years actually um and i think it's been published now and you know it did show some positive uh some probable negative effects for europe but we also we looked at some targets uh in the, in the u.s uh during the same time zone but we did that two years ago we were discussing these targets and, you know, both targets had some pretty negative stuff. And I was saying to Dennis, I was saying, you know, the only people I have to talk to about this kind of stuff and to almost like demagnetize myself from the negativity that, you know, some of these targets cause. And, you know, the fact that, you know, you, you're predicting stuff that you can't really talk to anyone about. Um, the only people I have to people uh, to talk to about this is, is the crypto viewing team. Um, so if you guys out there can get a community of people to help you in your progress as a remote viewer, it will hugely benefit you as well. You know, you shouldn't try to do this as an endeavor on your own out there. Uh, and, you know, that's why these, these Friday night chats are good as well. They've been good for the last, I think we've been going on two years now doing these most months. And uh, it's generally been uh, a good community effort with as uh, little um argument about the nuances of remote viewing as, as possible although they do come up now and again i got a question for you daz okay uh 2009 dick presented tanner dam mm -hmm. 2019 you replicated the effect of tanner dam mm. what did you think of that <laughs> well after after doing that project uh it, it was on my mind for 10 years i have to be honest every single day and um it's still on my mind now and i'm still replicating it in various formats right up until i think december of 2020 when i did i did another, another replication project of it um it was an amazing experiment and yeah it's just plagued i have to be honest it's just plagued me because um it go yeah it showed me that there are some possible uh currents uh, in the remote viewing process that we don't fully yet understand um and until we do fully understand them then i'm a bit worried that i don't i'm not able at this time to trust the trust the data that i'm presenting as a remote viewer uh fully which worries me somewhat yeah Daz, we always i'm sorry to jump in the uh your hope would be is that you can use remote viewing to get some ground truth yeah. like an accurate 
is this real? Can and and we've proven over and over and over and over again that you can get some ground truth, but how often is it wrapped up in uh, some stuff that's really strange, you know, and some things that can affect it that are, it's hard to follow those tendrils of consciousness. Yeah, absolutely. And, but the project is that you, you developed back then, you know, and I've done further work on it and I, I've dwelt on it for all the, well, for this 10 years plus since, has also showed me that, you know, a lot of remote viewing, especially from us CRV guys in the days, was all about, you know, physical things, build, you know, building structures, that, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but there is a whole new level to remote viewing of, you know, accessing non-physical side of things. You know, you can access people's thoughts, you know, you can access their intent and all, all the intangibles like that as well. And that's that side of things, I don't think it's been fully developed as much as people going after, you know, car keys and trying to win the lottery and, and all that kind of stuff. There's a, when, well, I spent a week with, with Prudence and Prudence uh, told me uh, a lot of things about, she had fears about topics like target hijacking. Uh, is it possible? And the answer is yes, it's, it's totally possible. But you know what? It, it takes a special breed of viewer or targeteer. It's going to be more in the targeteer world to, to do that. Um, so target hijacking is, is, is possible. And if there's some evil minion out there that wants to like ruin a remote viewing project, they could by contaminating the data. So it's a wide open, it's the wild, wild west. And I think, uh, yeah, after you, you talked at the 2019 SSC IRVA combined, uh, John Cook said he had to, he had to stop and think like okay well what do we, do we live in an asylum yeah. you know of consciousness is consciousness this much this this crazy and wacky and it and it is yeah. it's 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 you're surfing chaos when you when you when you're in that world so the only reason that we get good data is because we know what we're going to go get before we go get it if we just go out there and sit in the middle of the road wait to see what hits us then yeah, yeah. may not be a good thing for us yeah. so yeah but um i when when i saw your replication of it i'm going aha he knows now let's see what he does next <laughs> i've been playing with it and i still got some new ideas yeah yeah as i said i played with it in december uh just before yeah just before this year started uh where i i did my own version of uh, the experiment and i i I gave a target to some Facebook people where I, and I did it off the cuff. I did it in like a 10 minute kind of thing where I actually tried to insert myself above a physical target, but as a non-physical to see if they would actually see me as a non-physical floating entity. Um, and yeah, we had some interesting results on that as well, but it's something that, yeah, it's plagued me for 10 plus years. Um, and I think it should plague everyone within remote viewing because yeah, we just don't know the mechanism of it at this stage. Um, and, you know, when when everyone puts out projects, and, but especially when people, and I'm going to be honest here and say, you know, the, some of the Farsight stuff where, where they're far out stuff of, of the ET stuff, when you see all that stuff out there and it's, it can't be validated in any way, you have to be very careful on 
where that information is coming from. I think sometimes a lot of it is actually coming from uh, just a direct information source from from the tasker Courtney himself. You know, I think. You know how I keep my mind straight when I look at all the esoteric stuff and I look at all the wildness that's in the community. I got a stack of remote viewing sessions done by Joe McMonagle. Those things are there. It's like an it's like a target encyclopedia. His approach, how he how he how he does everything, and none of it's presented in a in a crazy way. Like you'll see in a lot of remote viewing sessions, people will go, "Oh, I sense energy." It's like really well. Is it electrical energy? Is it some type of mechanical energy? You know what what's going on here? Where Joe will just tell you the turbines are slow have slowed to thirty two RPM. And I'm going this this would be like on the Titanic. So it's like yeah. So just find something that you can you can use to keep yourself stabilized yeah. because if you don't, then yeah, you're just just not a bat flying in the dark. Yeah. So a question I have for you guys is. Uh, we're kind of seeing a research, a second kind of second wind or a resurgence of HRV, VG. You know, I'm seeing a lot of people wanting to learn it online and talking about it on all the forums like Reddit and Discord and stuff. Um, do you have a plan of where it's going in the future? Uh, well, you know, what are the next stages you guys are doing? I know you're doing, CETA's uh, doing classes at the moment. We briefly discussed this. I know Oz is doing uh, classes as well. Is there a formal plan? Do you have like a plan to do online training or anything else? Well, um, right now in the in the in the HRVG, there's only ten core members, and they're all doing beyond remote viewing. Jeez, uh, um, Aronacube, the different projects that are, that are ongoing that they're they're consuming of our time. Sita uh, trains. Oz trains those students go into the working group. Uh, it's kind of going to be up to them what they want to do. You know, uh, Omid runs the group right now, so they need some time to. And there's about 35 or so of them in there. Omid know, would know better. He should know better. Um, but what they're going to do, how are they going to get into the environment, and what type of projects? We're, I'm trying to get Gail Husick now to. Uh, to be their first like project project, you know, some nonpartisan, non-political, you know, kind of squeaky clean project that they can work on so that we can use the results of that project to train some analysts because they need some analysts. Uh, they need at least two analysts so to, to push on. But ideally they become their own remote viewing consortium and yeah, follow and follow the lead of the, the members. That's ideally what happens, but as far as HRVG, um, advanced stuff. I mean, we're going to probably do something every now every now and again, you know, in the advanced world. Just things that would make you shake your head, scratch your head, and say you guys are crazy, that kind of stuff. So we're playing with the craziness now. So that's what I do. Uh, if you say, Glenn, can you work a target for me? We go, well, give me two weeks, send me the target ID, I'll get back to you. You know, because there's other stuff to do. Excellent. Uh, Don, you have your hand up. Would you like to go ahead and ask a question? Uh, yeah, this um, discussion about target interference. <clears throat> I had actually, um, myself and I think Henny and maybe some others, 
uh, Des, we were talking about how to create a, an experiment where we could find out whether we could interfere with um, a target. You know, I, I was thinking of this um, JFK assassination. Suppose I wanted an alternate truth to be floated out there, and I didn't want people to see what the real thing was. And uh, so that was the motivation. But um, anyway, you, you had brought something about this up, and I, I was just curious, had you, have you ever had a project where you felt there was interference? And were there any strategies or techniques to get past it? You're asking Daz? I'm asking you or Dick or, you know. When that last uh, Skinwalker Ranch, Daz, and I saw yeah. that disc, and I know, I, I knew you wanted me to see who was in it. And I just, I, I'm not saying it was shielded. I think it was more like, okay, I had a cognitive realization that I saw this disc because I saw it and I go, wow, that looks cool. Good. And now I got to move inside. And I was like, can't do it. I have too much expectation. Um, so was it the shielding then sort of like your I think own... the shielding was of my own, like, you're going to embarrass yourself because you have too much conscious thoughts going through your mind, it wouldn't be remote viewing. So that, I guess that's a different uh, topic than the question you're asking. Um, but also that would have been front loaded too. So that could have been part of the problem. Well, uh, I no front loaded front, myself. Yeah, no front loading. The target, all the target work was done blind. Yeah. Daz can attest to that. But when you have a really good bilocation event where you see a disc over the tree, you know, that, that you kind of go, okay, where do I go from here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Don, you're asking a question about the possibility of something that's, Im that's supposedly impossible according to science. Okay. Catch my drift there. So more than likely it's been done on multiple occasions with varying degrees of success or failure. That's Oh, that's so, what I was wondering about. And also um, whether there were techniques to, yeah, I mean, could you actually create a tasking that said avoid all, all mental interference and perceive the physical event that actually occurred at such and such a time and, and date? I've told you guys several times, why do you want all the secrets right now? <laughs> Because <laughs> I do. That's why I do want them. It's like once you learn them, you you keep them to yourself. That's that's how they stay secrets. So you're in the right group. You're in the right group of <laughs> the secrets will come, and they, they already have. But I mean, I guess I could show you guys a few things that have been done in the past. Uh, but for the most part. Give yourself time, man. Give yourself some time. Don, my answer on it is I don't think you can, I don't think you can 
hide it. Because, like, I'm not uh, sure it, I understand what you just said. Well, you 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 were talking about an experiment where you 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 create an alternate an alternate version of the target, right? Like the JFK assassination. So you make up something like uh, Marilyn Monroe shot JFK or something. Yeah, right. You should have. <laughs> the pro the problem is. I mean, it can be it can be shown like uh, on my website. I got I gathered all the uh, RV sessions for TWA eight hundred, for example, and the, it was tasked by three different remote viewing groups. Uh, one was David Morehouse's group, one was uh, Ed Dames's group, and the other one was Courtney Brown's group. And we all know it was one singular event, um, but all three groups uh, came up with a different. Uh, a different version of what happened. One one group said it was a, a missile. One group said it was a terrorist. And one group said it was a a part on the plane. Um, so that's that's three different groups on a on a you know we know a, there was a singular event of TWA hundred exploding in some way. The official explanation is that it was a, a part that went wrong. Um, yet three different groups came up with different things. Now was that because they were tapping into you know, like the global kind of consciousness of, of theories. You know, two groups, two groups must have picked up a theory because it couldn't have been all three. It couldn't have been a terrorist that you know on a plane that just happened to have a faulty part, which just happened to be shot down by a missile at the same time. So we yeah, know that right. two of them are wrong. One of them's right. Um, so that you have to look at what what could have caused that, uh, and it could be that you know when we go out on an RV target. If there are social consciousnesses out there, you know, alternate theories, because, you know, alternate theories might be thought of by X amount of millions of people, you know, that add to add to the dynamic of it, that that's easy. That's just as pickupable as, as a physical object or yeah, yeah, yeah. going back to the masking and entrainment and the Tanner Dam thing. Are we in most cases just picking up what the, the what the tasker wants us to pick up at the target? You know, put he, Glenn, he, let's, let's put Glenn on the spot. Um, what? I didn't do it. <laughs> you did, did well. You might have done a remote viewing session on it. You don't want to talk about that. Okay. I'm saying <clears throat> consciousness is eminently mal malleable. You know, once you start shaping things, um, you can you can do all kinds of little experiments that aren't really um, problematic just to see footprints. You know, if you want to see footprints of some effect, uh, you can put that out and viewers will get the target, they'll get they'll get the footprints and other stuff, but it shouldn't bring raise, raise anything to like an alarm level. What I'd love to have is all the targets worked, all the sessions worked by viewers on targets that didn't turn in. I had those, then we'd, we'd probably see where the weirdness is all hiding. It's stuff that, after you do it, you go, I can't send this in. I'm not sending this in under my name. You know, that's the <laughs> ego of it. But I would, I would love just all those sessions of everything that wasn't turned in, just to crunch through analysis. <clears throat> if everybody in the community um, decided to do a, a standard remote viewing target every day, and then Cliff High, we get Cliff High to turn back on his half-pass human computer software, and have all that stuff crunched through the half past human is probably it'll probably be a predictive uh 
uh, yeah, a product about what's happened, what's going to happen. I mean, literally, that's the the power of consciousness that we all have is is right in that in that ballpark. So, um, yeah, John, uh, Don, answer your your question is. Everybody's got different different ways that they think, and you'll know the people that think weird when you meet them. And steer clear. <laughs> it's like, I mean, we're, we're all only here because of Krankowski. This is all <laughs> all happening in, in Rich's mind. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Sasha, yeah, you've had your hand up for a while. Would you like to go next? Thank you. Um, okay, I'm just going to uh, lower my hand, so that's annoying. Okay, uh, I'm just going to put two things forward for consideration. And I've, yeah, I've been trying to listen, so it's maybe not as coherent as I'd like it to be, but just bear with me a little bit. So the first thing is, it seems to me that maybe there's a need for uh, a broader vision uh, for the remote viewing community as a whole, um, for how we can use, because it's not just about viewing, right? So we're actually shifting or shaping the information that underlies our reality, right? That's what we're talking about, right? In, in the second half. Um, and so how can we use that for more than just predicting which sports team will win so we can make 20 bucks on a bet or which crypto will go up or just to prove to our friends and family that magic exists. Like, I wonder if we don't need some kind of a broader vision for, okay, what are the actual deeper implications to the fact that we're able to, to shape, shift, edit to some extent, or at least add to the information that underlies our reality? What can we do with that? That That is that kind of vision that draws people in who want to work towards human advancement, who want to work towards something more purposeful, more meaningful. Because right now, especially um, people are falling away from religion and, and people are really in crisis. And I think part of that is a need to do something that's meaningful, that's broader than you, right? And so I wonder if RV could somehow as a community come up with some goals that would attract those people in and give them uh, a purpose that, that does more uh, for, for the greater good. I don't like that phrase, but I'll, I'll use it just for now. Um, the other thing that I wanted to, to put forward for consideration is, so I understand some of what we're able to do is really powerful and you don't necessarily want bad people, I guess, using this. Although I think that they, those people who, who want to use these kinds of things for nefarious purposes, I think that they do find ways, um, if it's not from us, it's from whatever other groups and cults and, and, uh, and subreddits there are um, that will help them achieve whatever it is they're trying to do. Um, but I think one of the problems with, I want to say secret societies, um, just for the sake of, of, of this example, is the problem with secret societies is when there's a war, when there's a plague, when there's a massive social instability, when the internet goes down, um, a lot of their information is lost or distorted. And so what you end up with on the other end of any kind of disruption is watered down knowledge or knowledge that's not really useful and all the really closely held secrets are lost and I have some concerns about that in terms of some of the more powerful things that remote viewing can do because yes okay you want to keep it out of the hands of children but at the same time you don't want it to get lost 
Um, right now, there's so much uncertainty and there's sudden adult death syndrome where healthy people are just dying in their sleep, apparently, for no apparent reason. Um, and I think we have to think about that in terms of who has this information and, and how is this information being passed um, down. So these are just things that I'm thinking about while I'm listening uh, to this chat. And I just thought I would put it out there oh, for consideration. Awesome. <laughs> At HREG, you are what we call a fluffy bunny. You know, you're looking for the good and all. And it's like, I like to remind everybody that, you know, basically we're predators. Our, our eyes are in the front of our, in our, of our face, co-face with our ears. Our mouth and our nose is right there. I mean, our our nature is that of the predator, not the heavy thinker, the the person looking to do you know goodwill towards all. You know, I mean, nice things to think of, uh, but the goody two shoes uh, effect uh, doesn't have a lot of momentum. So you have to almost go to a secret society to to enjoy that on a smaller level because. If you look at the world, if you look at Chicago after after a weekend of, you know, high speed shooting and, and driving, um, it's just not out there. They're they're not ready for it. I mean, more than likely throughout the history of all mankind, they've been told the, the how to how to make everything great along the way, but they never did it because it's it's beyond the build of their nature. And in this case, like say, uh, find a fluffy bunny society and get in there. And yeah, and then you'll get some some realization of, of what you're looking for. And then lost lost data. I mean, half a hamburger is better than no hamburger when you're hungry for knowledge. Because you know what? More, more than likely, you can sort the rest of it out. And uh, I understand what you're saying. I do worry about the, the amount of time lost reinventing the wheel with each iteration, right? Um, yeah yeah it's it's a it's a problem with no solution evolution is the solution and it's slow it's really slow that's fair well, e evolution can be evolution can be sped up by events that are caused to happen i think we're going to see a increase of evolution here in the next few years there are <laughs> sasha there are administrative groups that oversee this earth that have magic that you wouldn't you'd have a hard time dreaming of those bastards well it's their uh it's their game they own the game board and we're the game pieces oh sorry i need to go there <laughs> thanks for that, sasha though um David, oh, let, me, let me show you something about Sasha. We were doing the uh, crop circle and we went back to an old crop circle and the graphic that Sasha has, let me do a screen share. This is in the video that we're going to put out on the crop circle. So that was a, that was a little bit of magic that she used that background when we were doing the debrief more in the video good job sasha <laughs> thank you <Dick. laughs> i'm at buy our product 20 <laughs> 1995 patreon.com see it today you know when when crypto viewing said to me 
we can do remote viewing and people would subscribe to see it. I said, no, because my long association with Glenn, Glenn taught, he's never accepted a nickel this whole time. We did buy him a good shotgun, but- I got, um, a, I got a nickel. Okay, but keep money away from it. And I initially felt like uh, if somebody offered me a bunch of money to do a target, I don't think I'd be able to perform. I'd be so worried that I was going to give them their money's worth. And I worked for a few years at crypto viewing without taking a salary. They, now they're, we all get a monthly stipend for doing our work. But um, I had to be convinced that it's okay to charge that we've worked hard for this. Like Daz and I have put so many years in and it's a skill that we've developed. It's like you hire a plumber or you hire an electrician, you hire a remote viewer. It's just a skill and uh, we put a lot of time into it. So it's okay to make some money. But uh, I think the foundation of keeping money out of it was, was, you did it for a long time for no money, right Daz? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I still like, you know, I do mentor a few people a year as well. And uh, I, I mentor more people for free than I do f for yeah. paid as well. Yeah, yeah. I've of taught the, one person that gave me some money. Of, but of other than that, I, I mentored Malk, uh, Naeem for a number of years. And he kept sending, he, sending me sessions. You know, hey, I did this. And I finally said, why don't you do some work on the side, like here, let me give you crypto targets. And now he's a big part of the team. I think more important than that, Dick, is what Daz has done over the years between eight martinis. He's been out there, not really in anybody's camp to any great degree, but generally stimulating stimulating the, the community itself, either by the Friday nights, the, the Friday nights or the magazines or communicating on everybody's forums. I mean, so, uh, yeah, so you're you're about the only guy that's doing it for nothing, Daz. Well, I do get I do get help from CryptoView now, and you know I'm you know I'm honored to get that, and uh, you know because and, and you know it's great that we are a successful business doing that because you know if I wasn't getting that money from uh, CryptoView to help me, I, I wouldn't I literally wouldn't be able to to do the remote viewing that we do. I would be doing some kind of whatever job I could get as a fifty-two-year-old man with hardly any skills except for design nowadays. So yeah, I'm thankful for it. It's uh it's been great so far. And it's great, you know, it's great with all you guys. The community the last few years in remote viewing has come on leaps and bounds. You know, we still have problems. We still have tribalism. We still have some people wanting to enforce their rules and ways of thinking amongst everyone else. But generally as a community, uh it's spread far and wide and we have a great community on Facebook to some degree without the wars. Um, but you know there are great communities on Reddit and on Discord. Uh, so anyone uh, looking for a good place for a community, there are good places to start. Talking about that, one of the guys that does Discord, uh, David, he's got had his hand up for a long time there. If he wants to ask his question there. Oh yeah. Um, so Glenn, you put a couple of slides in your presentation and then said I can't talk about that or that or this. Um, there's a couple of other things that you've said are a secret. Um, Sasha made a good point about secrecy, um, but I, I've developed skills through RV training and other esoteric mm -hmm. sorts of training that are all available publicly that could definitely be misused. 
Uh, and Dick made a good point as well that, that you know the people who are really going to misuse this stuff have it already. Um, so in light of that, what do you think is the net benefit to the broader RV community and humanity as a whole of being secretive about your research projects and keeping everything kind of buttoned down? Well, I think they I think people need to be told that there's some bad things in the woods out there. You know, there might be a tiger lurking here or there. Uh, that's within the, the scope of their what they do. Uh, a lot of times I, I, I kind of think, especially when it comes to like uh, Damocles, the Damocles project, well, I, I'm not gonna really say a whole lot about it other than the fact that that the, the project itself shows the linkage of everything and everybody. Once you have enough information about a, about a thing, then you can design around it. If there's an effect in remote viewing that you're aware of, like uh, let's say you get insight to someone's, like their memories. If you can access someone's memories, can you be selective about that? Or is it just gonna be whatever they're remembering at the time? So those types of information um, cause some ethical ethics alarms to go off, but you have to look at them to 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 realize, like uh, when Prudence, geez, I don't remember the year she came out, but when she was talking about the the problems with the possibilities of target hijacking, and then that's only one step away from mind hijacking. So what's the what's the architecture between hijacking a target and hijacking a mind, or putting a thought in a mind that it's not native to that mind the thing uh, is you can learn to do that for free you know it's <laughs> not a secret it's out there so what's the benefit to uh, keeping your secrets not within that that ability that's not within my knowledge base I, I don't i'm not really aware i mean my whole life has been jumping out of planes calling on the ground uh the only time i ever got to do anything that was cerebral to any great degree was working with richard Ireland and then training all the 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 local tribal hawaiians here uh, and the only reason we've been that successful is because we're on an island. They can't go nowhere. So, yeah, I, I just, there's a lot that out there that I do not know. There's a lot of like, uh, I don't know, me and we might become, Dick and I might become uh, something this year. What was I talking to you about doing, Dick, as a project for this year? I forget. What? What was on purpose? State that again. A little building up by Schofield Barracks. Dick and I are going to become. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, secret societies. Well, they got to know stuff we don't, right? Oh, I. They don't. I They've forgotten all their secrets. They're a great drinking club, though. We're yeah. we're ready. We're ready. <laughs> so. Uh, Learn the yeah, secret so this, handshake. Yes. So the the issues with me on things like that is like, and Sasha kind of said it to a degree, you got to be careful what you hand the kids to play with. So, yeah. The thing is, the what kids can find it all on Google. I did. Um, and, and people do get themselves into a mess. But do you think that there's there's a greater loss by keeping your your research which is done kind of more responsibly a secret 
so that there isn't that context to people who do because people are going to find this stuff and you can you can do google search you can find this stuff and you can do it so i mean my opinion is that it's better to put stuff out there that's done by more level-headed people who can say look here are the caveats here are the dangers this isn't real that's subjective rather than you know the crazy people are going to put the stuff out there anyway and they have um so isn't it better to be open about this stuff rather than secretive Uh, on one level, I, I, I have to agree with you. Uh, the logic is, is clear, but the planet isn't really populated by the smartest folks I've ever met, ever. And then, um, geez, I'm thinking of two things I, I learned in the 70s. Uh, a walk through the ocean of most souls will scarcely get your feet wet, for one. And the second one was uh, more recent. Um, be careful what you what you want to do. Be careful what you what you want to see. So I I kind of think that some people can handle it, some people can't. I mean, there's there's trillionaires and billionaires and millionaires, and and then there's people that live in a box outside the bridge across you know the border from Texas to Mech to Tijuana. That's California to Tijuana. It, it, so, it's been very interesting for me to work with Glenn and now another mentor who people at crypto viewing will know the, uh, our special friend i was a journalist I, I was a reporter for me the default position is to gain get whatever knowledge you can and the value of that knowledge was to disseminate it as quickly as possible as much as you could you know when you're a reporter you get the big story you want to get it before the newspaper gets it or the other station. So you, you put it out. So I, throughout my life, have this like, let's do a video on that. Let me record this and let me. And thankfully, I did record yeah, a we, lot. Of we it. know, Dick, we know. OK, now I'm working with Glenn, who who was a spy. And the value of information and knowledge to him was to hold it. And he they alone knew it. So that's a dichotomy of like, I'm like, let's tell everything. And Glenn is like, let's hold this close and see what we do. You know, the value is knowing it, not telling it to everyone. Well, if you, if you told everybody everything that you knew, part of it's going to be crazy as hell, you know? And then you got your own, your own idea of reality that you'd like to, you like to hold on to because you don't want to think that you're you're the cause of something some misfortune or or somebody you know turning to the dark side which is totally possible in this environment and there's been a lot of folks turned to the dark side i'm seeing you know the scams with the arv contests i've seen i'm going it's like it's like there's wolves out there feeding on the, the sheep it's like come on yeah my, my position is that more information from responsible people makes the environment safer for people who might fall into those traps fall down those rabbit holes you know because if there's silence from the responsible people and we're all in our secret societies and we're keeping silent and being responsible and only giving the knowledge to the people who should have it then the only information that's out there is controlled by people who are not being responsible in that way so it's almost like with the internet now and the dissemination of information, maybe we, we have to step up and be like, okay, we have to be less secretive about this. There's, but there's some knowledge that people don't deserve. 
they haven't but they can't it. do anything with it you need to some you know, knowledge I, you need I, to earn what i get know, it every week how can i remote influence people to give me money and how can i kill people with my mind and it's like you can't <laughs> because your mind is oh, a i mess. love how you, think. you know like I this stuff you. is not accessible to people who haven't done their work the secrets keep themselves by virtue of being meaningless or impossible or inaccessible to people who are not ready for them you know they're not secrets because nobody tells you them they're secrets because you can't absorb them you can't have them if you're not ready for them they're self-keeping secrets that's a unique perspective david i i, I respect it's not for... unique I, I plagiarized it from my magic textbook it's been around for hundreds of years i probably have that book <laughs> probably it's free on google is that uh, still it's a big it's a it's a big world out there man and it's changing every day guys i'm gonna move this on a bit because we're running over to two hours here and we got just a couple more questions here uh, and they've had their hand up thanks, for a while thanks, yeah thanks david nice to meet you david uh ned you've had your hand up for a very long time would you like to go next uh, we can't hear you at the moment. You're muted. The lower left-hand toolbar, you should have a microphone there. You've Click got to unmute yourself, Ned. We could come back to you, Ned, in a minute uh, if you get that in hand, because Ida's also had her hand up for a while. Would you like to ask your question, Ida? Um, yes, actually, I have a, a question, and also like to thank Glenn. Um, it took a few years, but I found out my father was a spy, and um, I felt very fortunate that I didn't know that until later in life when I could process that. So just, you know, when you use the word ethical as opposed to moral, I have a very specific definition for each word. And um, yeah, Glenn makes a good point on that. Uh, my question is, and um, it kind of goes to the fuzzy bunny comment but i was speaking with someone in the community not too long ago and she made the comment because i i asked a specific question about a destructive influence and she's like oh no we don't talk about those things we only talk about the positive things and i'm like okay now i had a degree in physics so when you say positive what are you talking about and so our, you know, our conversation closed down pretty quickly because we have to, we have to work from the same definitions to make sense of all this. Okay, to make the sense of our little bandwidth. And so um, I'd like to get some comment on that. We say remote influencing is bad. Well, I know plenty of people who went into marketing and they're making a whole lot of money and they're influencing people who don't know they're actually being remote influenced. Well, I was on a, a panel at Irva 
some years back with Paul and Lynn and these other guys. And we all share a common history in collecting intelligence uh, during the Cold War. And the question, the panel was on the ethics, what type of ethics we're going to be in remote viewing. And then uh, people, one by one, gave their their spiel on what they thought was going on with the ethics in the community. And and they got to me and I said, you know, I look around and like I said, we're all spies. Why would you ask us about ethics? I mean, <laughs> what makes you think we're ethical people? It's like, and then of course, Paul has to go harumph, harumph. It's like, oh, well, we're, we're, you know, like we're good people now. It's like, no. So I know there's not a lot of great people. Um, one of the problems we have right now is a disparity between belief systems with the younger people and the middle-aged people and the older people. I call it the snowflake dilemma. Like there's no way that we can communicate. I mean, we're losing our ability to communicate to people that are 15 years old, 17 years old, 18 years old. So there's almost no way that I can effectively communicate with them these days because we speak an entirely different language. We have entirely different kind of like uh, mores and uh, things that would be extreme to me. They, they don't think anything about it. So, I mean, it is a dilemma. I think that ethics in remote viewing will, will become a major thing along the way because then uh, we have to ask. It's like, uh, do you want to be remote viewed? Like, Daz, do you want Don DeCorcelli remote viewing you tonight? You know, it's like, well, ideally, no. You know, so no, we don't want those as people's abilities evolve and they get to be more accurate in, in what they can detect and see and feel. Do you really want that cat scratching at your door? No, I don't think so. But yeah, go ahead, Miss Ida, if you've got more. Oh, um, in the, the comment about the, um, we're only going to focus on positive things. I mean, like I said, I grew up in a rather unusual situation. I'll, let's, I'll leave it at that. And um, I mean, one of my first toys my father bought for me was a, um, a tank. I mean, it was a toy, but I could get in it, ride around in it. And uh, so I had an unusual background. Now, he survived everything he did because of his, um, I'm trying to think of the polite way to phrase this. Instincts. Instincts. That's a good word. Thank you, whoever said that. But um, it's, it's a... Um, you know, as he tried to train us all, and and that isn't the socialization that you're given in everyday life, especially with some people. You know, if you do this, this, and this, everything is good and nothing can hurt you. Yeah, the father-daughter relationship is is a weird one, especially when the dad thinks the tank is a, an appropriate toy. Uh, but it goes both ways. I was at a formation uh, for some big parachute thing that we were doing at Fort Bragg, and my daughter ran up with a couple of her little friends, and she held her hand out, and she said, hey, watch my dad eat these worms. And I'm going, 
really, Courtney? Really? <laughs> so I had to eat a bunch of worms for her because, you know, that's that was her thing. She thought that was like, you know, uh, yeah. But since then, you know, she's she's flown in F-15s, F-14s. Uh, she's retired now from the Air Force, which is like a really good good thing for her. But the relationships between our youth and our, our parental, we've we've lost that now. Like if if I was a dad right now and I had a new kid, I'd just I'd have to keep them at home. I'd have to have to be homeschooled, have to, you know, I'd have to be the yeah. major thing in their in their in their life. I couldn't I couldn't turn them over to the civilians. They're like, they're crazy. Well, it's just me saying that. I just think the world is like going bonkers right now. Different, very different. Okay, but do you do you um do you believe as I said, going back to this, the difference between, I mean, a code of ethics, is, I mean, ethics means a code of ethics, it's written down, everybody agrees to it. I mean, that's the standard definition for a code of ethics. Um, I have to sign off on those in various licenses that I have and all this, but um, should that, should that mean telling people, um, oh, well, just because somebody threatened or, and I'm not saying physically threatened, I mean, just, you know, we don't, we don't talk about the bad stuff. Well, the problem with trained and learned ethical practices and procedures have been undermined by society. Society has now begun to dictate what's, what's ethically, what, what's, what's, what's ethical. I mean, you can't, there are things that you would never allow that society allows. I mean, we can make long lists of things that are allowed in the society that we reside in, but we would personally never allow them, endorse them, or, or, or train our children to, to be complicit with it in any, in any great way. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a different world now. So ethically, it'll, that'll be like big in maybe 10, 15 years. You know, when 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 science when science figures out how this works, the lawyers are going to be all over us. So statute of limitations will be important then. So if it's been seven years since you removed you, Dad Smith, you're you're probably gonna be good. But yeah, it's scientists, as soon as they figure out what's happening, then the next thing that will happen is we're gonna get swooped on by the lawyers. Yeah, yeah. I, t I totally agree. That place, it would be a nightmare then because you could essentially say me and Dick and crypto reviewing guys are, are being unethical every time we do a crypto viewing target and we go into the minds and the heads of the people that are creating the cryptos to, to think about what they're thinking, where they're taking, the, where they're taking their, their intellectual property and everything. So that's, that's kind of unethical when you think about... You guys, you guys will be the ones that define what the crime actually is. Yeah. You're well, guilty of we, Daz in the second offense, yes. Second we, we redact data all the time. I mean, there's sometimes where in the debrief, like we get told, because there's, there's people watching us that we have editors, like, don't show that. Or like, page 12. Um, yeah, we, we've gotten contacted by some crypto people that saw our work. I, I interviewed uh, Jared Tate of Digibyte. He saw that I drew him exactly and described him. 
he described his coin. So I got to talk to him in person and it was really a hoot to uh, meet him in person. There was one company that they had a top secret project and we remote viewed their, it was one of our crypto targets and we had uh, outlined their top secret project. Like they're gonna have this and this and this. And they contacted us and said, wow, uh, kind of keep that under, yeah. I think it's an amazing remote viewing is, and let's, I guess we're going to wrap pretty soon. I guess the point we wanted, one of the points we wanted to make is law one. If any valid data can be obtained about a target using remote viewing, then all data can be obtained. Don't limit yourself. Keep going, give us more. Try to name the target. Yeah. Hey, Ned still got his hand up there, Ned. Yeah, Ned, do you wanna ask your question, make it the final question of the night? Yeah, has there been any, because uh, earlier I saw on Facebook, uh, uh, three remote viewers uh, seeing uh, not a very pleasant site somewhere in Europe and uh, one describes it as a mushroom uh, the, um, associated with a nuclear detonation of a nuclear warhead. Is, has there been any forward looking remote viewing with the war in Ukraine or mm, in Europe? Sancas or Filipinas? Las Piñas. Okay. It's about seven kilometers south of Manila. Nice to meet you, man. Uh, oh, geez. thank you. You know, it's it's a, yeah, I used to go there every year for the coup, man. <laughs> you remember you? Gregorio? Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 Greg, Greg, Gringo, yeah. Oh, with a war going on, it's like the worst possible time to be like remote viewing Europe because you've got, I mean, the levels of anxieties that 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 are occurring is just kind of. I mean, when you land in Europe when they open the door to the plane, you got the the fear and anxiety has got to be the first thing you smell. Oh wow! So, yeah. So, but if you come to Hawaii, the first thing you smell when they open the door of the plane is the heavy, wet air and the flowers. Yeah, so, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just I know there's been a lot of. That's what the expectation is. That's what the fear is is that there'll be some type of low-level tactical nuclear device used by uh, Putin. But man, there's everything has a price. You know, everything That's has right. a price. You do something like that, then I'll tell you, Europe will unify into a steel rod that will beat Putin in the head again and again and again. They'll have it, it'll be everything or nothing. All is sort of niche. Everything or nothing. Okay. So Thanks for the question. Uh, can I comment on the uh, the uh, the last topic uh, about lawyers and stuff? Because it's known that uh, even in CIA Director Robert Gage is known not to believe in remote viewing. So how can they come up with a case when even you know the the agency heads do not believe in this remote viewing? Uh, well, Bill Gates or Bob Gates, Robert Gates, um, 
I will tell you the CIA. I've had I've had dealings with them over the years, being in the type of job that I had. They're not to be trusted. They're not to be believed at any level. They're the most <laughs> skullduggery bunch of thugs you ever seen her tell of or stepped on. So just no, it's the worst kind of person ever. Um, you know, um, yeah. So just okay. Being a CIA, being the CIA director is is nothing in the scale in the scope of like having a brilliant government career. So okay. Don't believe any of it. They because they do. All Ned, um, I assure you that people in positions of authority, real authority, yeah. that are not just figureheads, they know mm -hmm. about remote viewing. They know about many things that um, you knowledge is um, only parceled out the secret knowledge to those who. And the other guy we were talking to, I forget his name, is going to dispute this, but it's oh, you David don't H? you're not in a real David, yeah, you're not in a real position of authority without knowing. I see, I see, yeah. Yeah, Robert Gates, political appointee. Um, right. Is that true, Glenn? He would be a political appointee, not the real keeper of the institutional knowledge. Right. They have to be able to exercise a certain amount of plausible deniability in the event that somebody that's leaving the agency decides to spill some beans on the floor or to the press, to somebody like you. He was in charge when disclosure happened in 95, right? So what happened was they realized that this skill, this technology of remote viewing was going to be revealed to the public. So they came out with a limited release and said, well, yeah, we tried it, but it doesn't really work. And uh, it, was, it was questionable. And that was a limited hangout. So- Well, Dick, uh, here's, here's, the, here's the problem. Why was there nobody in the program in the on the military side ever get above the rank of lieutenant colonel and then there was only two of those uh most of them were majors or frocked majors captains uh, a couple of ncos uh buchanan sfc he might have made master sergeant at retirement or right before retirement and then um riley master sergeant or first sergeant depending on which no, way you no, went. Right. so you didn't go there for their for your career for your career enhancement and most it's most necessarily Officers that went there, their careers were done. That was their last place that they were going to be. So, like, I mean, Dave came out of Ranger Battalion, and when he went up there, he knew he was done. They just, they just know. So, there, it's a career killer. Anybody in the government associated with something that's a career killer, their careers get killed too. So, what they've got to do is they got to do, they got to exercise some degree of plausible deniability to state that. Yeah, we was looking at this. We only spent $20 million, but you know, it wasn't really that good. But, and then push, shove Jessica Utz under, under the bus and a few other folks under the buses. Uh, because, and then what did like, what did Hyman, what did Hyman and those guys actually see? They, were, they weren't allowed to look at any of the remote viewing work actually done by the active duty military viewers. They couldn't assess any of that because that stuff was, was considered classified. Hyman didn't have a clearance, still doesn't have a clearance. He's probably still around too. And then the crest report. Uh, so the, 
when you look at it, anything associated with something that can be a little bit icky, like remote viewing and government tax dollars, uh, they're going to run from it as fast and as hard as they can because it's a career killer. It totally is. And then, um, hell, the biggest years of growth for the remote viewing community, and Paul won't tell you this, was the, was the Navy expansion because uh, Bobby and Vice Admiral Bobby Inman was Derns, the director of the National Security Agency. Uh, so all that kind of stuff is fine at that level in that kind in that end of the business. But you, as soon as you cross the line into the civilian world um, or civilian agencies like DIA, like like DIA, DIA is not an intelligence agency. They they are not authorized by charter to collect information intelligence. Only certain units can do that type of activity. They're they're a clearinghouse. So when the remote viewing unit got moved over into DIA, could they collect anything? Not legally. They couldn't. They couldn't task anything. I mean, I've, I've gone with. Uh, I've asked uh, Dale about uh, Charlie Jordan, the the customs guy, where you know the obvious use violation, use of eighteen violation of remote viewing in America, and having you know active duty military and or civilians employed by the director by the Defense Intelligence Agency remote view in America. It's like, well, that's a no no. So, but so stuff happens along the way, and and. Dale has got such a way about of himself. He can, I think Dale could get out of a bear trap without even a scratch, you know? So uh, it's an interesting world, but as soon as it became public knowledge, anybody that wanted to pursue, continue pursuing a government career had to get as far away from it as possible. I see. Well, um, uh, another topic, do you have any, uh, prediction or vision as, as far as the Philippines is concerned now that the son of Ferdinand Marcus is now the president? Oh, man. Uh, I love the Philippines. Been there a lot. Um, I would just tell you that it's 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 a country that, that tailored itself after the American model. Uh -huh. But sometimes, you know, sometimes it, it kind of gets a little bit off off course. But uh, well, yeah, go stay ahead. out of Mindanao. Stay out of now. You'll be fine. Oh, wow. Okay. I haven't been there for over 20 years now. Thank you very much, uh, Glenn and uh, uh, Dick. And thank you for having me. Thank you for answering the questions. Really well, thanks appreciate all you guys it. for, uh, for, yeah, thanks, for showing up. I hope we gave you can I, can I end with one thing? For those of you who haven't seen Glenn's work, I'm going to embarrass him now. <laughs> this was a blind target that I tasked, and he worked. Uh, it was blind, and I videotaped it. And here's, his, uh, here's a shot from that. The target was Matthew Brady, Civil War photographer. And that's the level of Glenn's work. He did a 90-minute video where he detailed every aspect of this man's life. We had to go through the, the video sentence by sentence and then go do research on the internet to verify the data was just incredible. So, Glenn, sorry to do that to you, but... Uh, That's okay. I'll send you $10, Dick. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> that, was, uh, that, was in, that was impressive. I, I remember... When you made that sketch, and I was in the room with the camera going, I was just trying to like not yes. show my emotion and my awe. Dick, my my job is to replicate myself, and that's what that's what the guild is. So, and we're on the road. So, 
I remember, I remember Glenn's uh, New Mexico balloon project. Yeah, you had a CD out on there, I believe. You know, Rich, yeah. I've always had my eye on you. Now I know why. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you guys for coming along tonight, especially, uh, you know, Glenn, Dick and Sean uh, and sharing with us and for you guys as well for asking all your questions. It's been a great evening, uh, but I think we should round it out there because we're at two and a half hours. Uh, so thanks and have a great weekend ahead, guys. What I'll do is I'll put the video up on YouTube as fast as possible. Uh, yeah. So thanks for turning up and thanks for answering all the questions, guys. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you Glenn, Dick, everyone. Thank you, Des. Have a nice great weekend. Great weekend. Have a great weekend, guys. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed. <laughs>